the rhythm of the church was to pray and it was to fast. The Great Commission is not given to a special group of believers. It is given to all of us. We want His power to be made known and we want people to know Him. Live for Him because you love Him, not because you want to get love from Him. You already have it. God is a God that for His children, He doesn't define us by our worst moments. I must do this or that in order to keep God's favor. And when we do this, we seek to place the chains back on us that Christ has freed us from. See, God communicates with us today. It wasn't just for Paul and the other apostles. And I hope as you hear that, you go, that's, that's exciting. There's over a billion people in the world today that have never even heard of Jesus Christ. And then the beautiful thing, when we hear from him, we get to be part of growing his kingdom, which is like the funnest thing on earth. He's not called us just to come here, pump gas and leave. We're not spectators of the gospel. We're participants of the gospel. There is nothing more exciting in my mind when a church sends out missionaries and then they come back in this room and they hear what God has been doing. We long for God to do something big, bigger than us. We long for God to do something in our church. We long for God to do something in our community. Because one day, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. I hope that you're excited about getting the gospel to the world. The day of missions is not over. They will hear the gospel by you and me. Good morning, everyone. Um, how are you guys doing today? Great, you're excited to be here? Yeah, um, I might need a, a podium to preach. If not, I'll just preach on the, on the floor. Um, if you guys don't know, um, we have been in a series in the book of Acts. Uh, we took a short, short break this past couple of weeks and, and we talked about rhythms of the church. Uh, we stepped back into, thank you, Dr. Ray Benson III. <laughs> Appreciate you. Um, we've, we've taken a break, and the reason why um, we've decided, and um, we've said, the reason why we want to study the book of Acts is because what we often see in the book of Acts is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the main character of the book of Acts, right? Like, where we're tempted to think, oh, Paul is the main character, Peter's the main character, James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, is the main character. No, 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 it's the apostles are the main character. No, no, the main character is the Holy Spirit. When we see the book of Acts, the Spirit of God working in the church, through the church, and in the community, in the city, and in the rest of the world, is the type of church that we want to be. Right, like, don't you agree that you want to be what you want to be the way they were? And if, if we want to be a church that is missional, a church that's on mission with God, that has a purpose, we talked about that last week, that has a purpose to reach lost people, to reach hurting people, to reach broken people. If we want to be that church, then we ought to do what the church did, right? Let's just replicate what they did. Now, there's some things that we can't do, obviously, but but often what we see in scripture, in the book of Acts, is that they prayed, they fasted, they studied God's word, they sang songs, and they were intentional about reaching the world. So um, before we jump into Acts 18, you can turn to your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. The title of, I, you know what, it's funny, I don't like titles of sermons. If it were up to me, it would just be like the chapter, but um, I don't know why, they make me 
make titles. So the title of today's sermon is Reassurance um, in the Face of Discouragement and Fear. We're, we're going to focus on three verses, 9 to 11. We'll start at verse 5, but I want to give you a big picture of where we've been. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can turn to page 927. Um, if you don't own it, a Bible, that is our gift to you. You can have it, because here at the chapel, we study God's word, we read God's word, we live out God's word, um, so it's important that you have one. So take it, um, read it, mark it up, do whatever you need to do. I'm sure we can replace it. All right, so let's talk a little bit about where we've been. All right, so, so this is what we've seen in the church. Jesus has ascended in chapter one, and he tells his disciples and the apostles, hey, I'm out of here, I'm gone. My task, my purpose has been complete for now. Um, there's more to come soon, but, but for right now, my, my task is complete. However, I'm not gonna abandon you, I'm not gonna leave you, I'm actually gonna give you my spirit. My spirit will abide in you, through you, work through you, and he will be here, right? So, so the, the key verse of the book of Acts, everything that flows out of Acts comes from this key verse. It's Acts chapter one, verse eight. In fact, it's the great commission of the book of Acts because um, it, it has very much similarities to Act, Matthew 28. And here's the key verse that I'll put up on the screen, right? And, and this is God's promise to his people. This is God's promise to the church and this is God's promise to us, right, in some sense, right? It says in um, Acts 1, verse 8, I'll just read it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the author of Acts is Luke, and what he's writing, he's writing to a patron who probably donates a lot of money to the church or to, to Paul's efforts or to, to some ministry that's happening. So he's giving a history account of all the things that's happened. And, and he said, this is how it started. It started when the church, the called out ones, the people of God who were praying, fasting, waiting for the Holy Spirit, he comes upon them and dwells in them. He controls them. And after that, they are empowered. They're motivated to spread the gospel. And they start in Jerusalem and they work their way around um, the region. And then they work their way out to the nations. And we, we see Peter, and we see Philip, and we see some other things happen in the Church of Jerusalem. Now we get to the point where Paul is one of the primary characters. Luke is going to focus on his ministry, and where we left off a couple of weeks ago, four weeks, um, we found Paul in Athens, and Paul is motivated, he's provoked by a city filled with idols. So he goes into Athens, and he's provoked in the spirit, meaning that he's moved um, in a righteous anger um, to proclaim the good news to people who are not following Jesus, people who are not following Yahweh, people who are not following the truth, but are following other gods. And he calls them out on their sin, and he preaches on Mars Hill, where a bunch of intellectual, think about the smartest people of the world, come to this place, and they talk, and they, they discuss philosophy, and he preaches the gospel. Then Acts 18 comes around. He leaves Athens. He goes to Corinth. We all know Corinth because he actually writes two letters to Corinth that we have. In fact, we think there's actually four letters written um, to Corinth in total. We have two in Scripture. So, so he, he goes to Corinth. He meets two people. 
He meets Priscilla and Aquila. They're tent makers. They're in the same business. So he stays with them. They stay in Corinth, and they devote themselves to um, tent making and the preaching of the gospel, right? So he finds some companions, and then we find ourselves in Acts chapter 18, verse 5. Read with me there. And when Silas and Timothy have arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord together with the entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. All right, so, so this is Paul's natural rhythm of evangelism. He goes into a new city, and then he goes to the synagogue. He proclaims the gospel in the synagogues. They're often pissed off, and they want him out, and then he leaves. And now we see what happens in verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. Last verse, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, it's interesting that we find in this passage that Jesus has to appear to Paul. Why does Jesus have to appear to Paul? Why does Jesus come to Paul in a vision? Well, I think it's pretty clear. I think it's because Paul's discouraged and afraid. How do we know that? Because we see that right in the passage. What does Jesus command? It says, do not be afraid. You don't command someone not to be afraid if they're not afraid, right? You don't tell someone, hey, it's going to be okay if you don't notice that there's something wrong. So, so why does Jesus appear to Paul? It's because, frankly, Paul, Paul's afraid. He's discouraged. We see a moment of vulnerability in Paul. We see that Paul's human. I mean, we're often tempted to look at Scripture and think, Paul is superhuman, and I want to be like Paul. Like, this is the guy who has it all figured out. This is the guy who preaches God's word. This is the guy who has great courage and boldness to do what God's called him to do. Surely there's nothing wrong with Paul. Surely Paul doesn't have any defects. I mean, he's used to preaching the word, right? Like, he chose to do this. He decided that he wanted to go into cities and preach in the synagogues and be rejected and be persecuted, right? Like, Surely there's nothing wrong, but we see a moment in history where we see the humanity of Paul. We see that he's afraid. He's discouraged. He's worried. About what? I think we're all prone to discouragement and fear, right? Right? How many of you in this room have been afraid before? Raise your hand. Okay, oh, only some people. Oh, wow. Okay. How many of you have been discouraged before? Raise your hand. Oh, only some. Okay. Just me. 
and the five people in the room. No, I think we've all been discouraged and afraid, right? I think, I think what often makes us fearful and discouraged is, is like the unknown, right? I think what often makes us discouraged and fearful is the unknown, what's going to happen. Also too, what makes us afraid and discouraged is our past. Like many of us are wounded and hurted hurt by past, whether it's a relationship, an issue, a problem, uh, um, family dynamics, like we've all been wounded in some form or fashion. And much of, of those wounds and hurts have affected the way we think and feel about God, ourselves, and other people, and it makes us fearful of the unknown. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, what makes me anxious in life, discouraged and fearful, is not knowing what's going to happen particularly anything that involves me, like the, uh, uh, the uncertainty of the future of tomorrow makes me worried, right? What makes me discouraged, right, is, is, is like the lack of confidence and in trust in what's going to happen. I don't know if that's you, but, but that's me, right? The, I get the low hum in my stomach, right, that, that, that tells me, man, th- this situation, what you're going through or what you will go through, it's going to be hard and difficult. And it makes me fearful because my desire is to control, right? Like we all want to control in some form. Like we all want to know the outcome. I think that's what happened with Paul. Uh, here's what I think. Why would Paul be discouraged and afraid? Like this is his job, right? He's supposed to be going to preach the gospel because that's what God commanded him to do. Why is Paul afraid? Why is he discouraged? Here's why I think Paul is discouraged um, and afraid. I think it's because, one, he, he remembers how he's been treated, right? That's, that's what he's saying here. Like, he goes into the, that's what Luke says. He goes into the synagogue, he, he proclaims the gospel, then he's rejected. He's done that before, and oftentimes he's either been persecuted, beat up, brought before some tribunal, and, 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 and I think he goes to Corinth, and I think like, here we go again, I gotta do this again. And I, and I think, like if we know what Corinth is about, we read just, think about it, just read, chap, read um, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and the church, he's writing to the church, and all the drama that happens in that church. Imagine what's happening in this city. And I'd imagine that he goes to Corinth and is like baffled at how wayward the culture is. He goes to Corinth and, 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 and probably says like, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. You know how we also know that Paul's afraid and discouraged? Um, I'm gonna read it to you. He actually tells the church, um, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he actually tells them that when he came to Corinth, it wasn't all like he was feeling excited and he was feeling bold to do so. I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And he says, And when, when, I, when I came to you, brothers, do, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And verse 3, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look what he says. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, 
but in the power of God. So he, he actually confesses that when he comes to Corinth, he comes with great fear and discouragement. Right? Like, like the work that he did in the city wasn't a, a strength and power that came from him. In fact, he says he didn't come with his own strength. It came from an inner power. Right? Like when he comes in weakness, when he comes in, um, in great trembling, he's not coming in his own strength. He's coming with the power of the Spirit. So, so we know that Paul is in Corinth right now, and he's afraid. He's afraid of the circumstances. He's probably afraid of the persecution. He's probably afraid of what to expect again. And the promise that God makes to him, right, which we can extract from the passage, right, that, that he ought not to be afraid because he won't be harmed. He won't be harmed. I think this is a beautiful testimony of God's faithfulness, once again. Where we're tempted to look at this passage and say, man, how awesome was Paul to, to be encouraged. We should look at God and say, and say how awesome God is that God will remain faithful to even Paul when he persecuted the church and even in his weakness still remain faithful to him by coming to him to give him a word of encouragement. That's encouraging to us because we know that we serve a God who's near to the brokenhearted, right? Like the God, like oftentimes people think that God is this transcendent God who's far away and distant, which he is because he's bigger than all creation, but he's also imminent. He draws near to us. He's with us. He's always with us. And that's the power of God. That's the power of his faithfulness. That oftentimes when we're discouraged and fearful, when, when life is problematic for us, right? I don't know what issue you're going through. I don't know what problems you face, but I'm sure there are many people in this room and people watching online that you're feeling discouraged and afraid. I'm sure there are people in this church who voted last week to affirm the new path forward, didn't affirm it with great confidence. I'm sure some people said, like, I'm doing this, trusting that God has this church in his hands, but I'm not fully aware. I don't know what's going to happen. Things are going to change, and I'm sure people marked yes. With not a lot of hope. That's okay, right? Like, God is not surprised by our hopelessness. God is not surprised by our fear and discouragement, right? Like, nowhere in Scripture does it tell us you always have to be encouraged, right? In fact, the Bible actually says because you live in a fallen world, discouragement and fear is a reminder, a daily reminder that sin exists and it permeates everything. So when you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling afraid, it's just a reminder that sin exists, but it's also a reminder how much you need him, right? Like, that's the beauty. That's what the world doesn't have. You know that, right? The world doesn't have hope. When the world goes into trouble, when it has problems and situations, it looks for itself to find the solution to the problem. We, as believers, have a great hope in Jesus that when we're discouraged and fearful, we don't have to trust in our emotions. We don't have to navigate life to figure out the, problem to, the solution to the problem. We can run to Jesus and say, hey, I'm feeling discouraged and hopeless. You need to do something about it, because I can't. This is a beautiful reminder of God's character. Don't miss it. Don't miss this point. This is a beautiful reminder of God's character. 
So the purpose of the vision, right, that, that Jesus appears to him is not only to remind Paul of his character, right? Not only to remind Paul, hey, listen, I'm still faithful to you. It's, it's to remind Paul to also remain faithful, to assure Paul where he is and what he's doing is exactly where God wants him. So in the place of discouragement, in the place of fear, that is exactly where God has him. He has not fallen out of the hands of God. He's perfectly situated in the place he needs to be. And that's also true for us. When we're discouraged and afraid and we might be tempted to think and believe that God has abandoned us or we might question God and we might question his motives. God, why are you allowing me to feel this way? I'm a feeler, if you guys don't know. Uh, I'm, I feel like... It's a good thing, it's a good thing. Hey listen, it's a good thing. There are people who are logical thinkers who like think through facts, but they're also like some weird, they have like weird social dynamics, if you know what I mean? But feelers like me, like we, we can discern like body, and I'm not bragging on me, this is everybody who's a feeler. Like you can discern body language, like facial expressions, you can like, you walk into a room and you're like, oh, something's wrong, what's going on? Like, oh, what happened? And then like, you get that inner awkwardness and you're like, all right, like, what do I gotta do to fix it? Like, I, I, I'm a huge feeler, right? I'm a huge feeler, right? So, so I'm often, right, because we live in a sinful world, I'm often tempted to feel things in ways that are not true. So when I'm discouraged and fearful, my mind, I'm a wreck. It, like if something bad happens in my life, I can't eat, I can't drink, I don't wanna see anybody, I just wanna crawl under a cave and never come out. I go to sleep and I'm like, oh, do I have to wake up? Because I'm just like feeling it. So if I'm discouraged, I'm like, uh, I, I don't know what to do. But, but when, we're fe- when the feelers are like having to experience great pain and hurt and frustration, It's not to wallow in those emotions, but it's to remember of God's faithfulness. It's to remember that God is our encourager and that he has us right where we're supposed to be. Because because if you're in the place where you're in control and in power of everything that's happening in your life, then you have no need of Jesus. But when you're feeling discouraged and fearful in situations that have made you feel that way, you can know intellectually and you can inform your heart that he's in control, right? So this is, this is like what feelers like me, like we have to constantly speak truth to our heart. This is why the Bible says, take every thought captive under what? The obedience of Christ. So you take your feelings and, and your feelings inform your, your thought pattern and you take those thoughts and says, no, 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 you are going to obey Christ. You're going to believe it, right? Like that's what the Bible says. That's what happens here. Paul feeling the weight of the movement, feeling the weight of the persecution, the influences of the world. I mean, like that's in human nature. Who wouldn't get tired? Like you think our pastors and staff members are not tired after this, after this year? We're exhausted. What's our motivation? Not the discouragement. Our motivation is the faithfulness of who? Of him who sent us. I'm reminded of the passage of Joshua chapter one. How many of you know that, that, that passage? Moses dies, this is beautiful. That passage has been encouraging to me 
in the last year or so. Here's why. Moses has died. Now Joshua's in charge. And Joshua is the unlikely candidate, right? Right? He's, he's the unlikely candidate to lead God's people. It's supposed to be Moses. Why? Because the promise was made to Moses to lead his people out of Egypt into the promised land. So, so I'm going to read to you. I'm going to read to you Joshua chapter 1, and, and I want you to hear the words um, that bring parallel to this passage, right? Like, just listen, listen to these words. Moses, my servant, is dead. This is God talking to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. <laughs> he says, get up. Morning has ended. Go over this Jordan. You and all these people into the land that I have given to them, to the people of Israel. I love verse 3 because I just love the way God talks to us. I'm like, God talks with so great confidence that I'm just like, I want that confidence. Like, look what he says in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. And this is what verse 5 says. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So, so God is reassuring. He's often saying, listen, Moses is dead. I made promises to Moses, but I'm going to be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. He says it again. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? This is the question. Have I not told you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord God, your God, is with you wherever you go. You see the parallels? When, when we're often tempted to be discouraged and fearful, what does God do? God does not abandon us. Actually, he leans in. He moves towards us. Why do you think he repeats five times to Joshua, do not be dismayed, but be courageous and be strong? Why? Because Joshua was tempted, what, to be discouraged and afraid. Why do you think God appears to Paul in this passage? It's because Paul's human. Paul's tempted to be afraid and discouraged. So what about you and me? Right? You're probably sitting there like, well, it's Joshua. He's special. He makes it into the Bible. <laughs> oh, Paul, like, Paul planted all these churches, like, he's the super Christian. He wrote two-thirds of it. He's very special. What about me? I just live in Northeast Ohio. Not a lot of special going on around here. It's the truth. You know what it is. Stop. Stop. You're like, oh, no, stop, please. <sighs> anyway. Why? No, they're, they're human just like you and me. They're tempted to be discouraged and afraid. 
We are all tempted to be discouraged and afraid, right? Like, don't let anybody lie to you. Right, the world says no, we're not discouraged or fearful. We have nothing to worry about as they're run, running frantically like chickens without a head, running around trying to figure out how to solve the world's problems while creating more problems for us. Right, like, like that, that's, the, that's the beauty though, I think. The beauty of this passage is, right, like this ain't on me. Right, like look at me. The success of this church and the future of this church is not on me. It's not on you. It's on the one who created it, right? So, so this is why often people who are, people are worried. There have been people who are worried about, and it's, it's a good worry because people love and care, right? People love and care for our building. People love and care for our, our, the name of the chapel. But let me tell you something, right? Like, the name of the chapel and the future of the chapel means nothing if the name of Jesus is not lifted up higher than the name, right? So, so like the success of our church, the success of your faith is not contingent on you, it's contingent on the one who saved you, right? So, so that's the power of the gospel that is not on us to figure out. So when you're discouraged and afraid and you're often tempted to think, how am I going to get out of this situation? How am I getting out of this problem? Realize that it is, you have access to the person who can get you out of the problem. Not for only your sake. For whose sake? His sake. His name is on it. If he doesn't do it, it's on him. It's not on you. It's on him. But what we see in scripture often is that God is faithful. Here's an encouragement to us this morning. We have to keep this in mind. When we're tempted to feel discouraged, when we're tempted to be fearful, remember that discouragement and fear only have power in what we allow it to control. So if we allow discouragement and fear to control our thought patterns, and not submit our thoughts under the obedience of Christ, then fear and, and doubt, frustration, anger, and sin control our behavior. Right? Fear and doubt don't tell us how we ought to behave, what we ought to do. I mean, there's healthy fear. I'm not talking about healthy fear. I'm talking about sinful fear. I'm talking about discouragement, right? Like, when we're tempted to be discouraged and afraid, we have to take those thoughts captive, bring it under the obedience of Christ, because God has a plan that he's working out in us. So there's nothing to be afraid about. This is, what's frustra this is frustrating, I get it, I'm with you. This is frustrating, because this is, the, this is the passage that stresses me out the most, right? Like, the one that's supposed to bring you the joy and the hope is the one that stresses me out. What, what's that passage in Philippians? Do not be anxious about everything, about anything. What do you mean? <laughs> Do not be anxious about anything. Are you seeing what's happening? <laughs> what do you mean? It says, do not be anxious about everything, about anything. But what does it say? But in everything, in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and what happens. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding would guard your heart. What do you think Jesus is doing in revealing himself to Paul to remind him not to be discouraged or fearful. What do you think he's doing? 
He's providing the peace that surpasses all understanding to do what? To guard his heart. Why do you think he mentions that in Philippians? Because he has experienced it in the past. So what's the, the point for us? Here's the point, a couple of points, simple, quick, and fast. One, God continues to show himself trustworthy to us. I think, I think that's, that's what we ought to see in this passage. God continues to show himself trustworthy to us in our doubt, in our fear, in our situations, in life's problems, in our difficulties, in our weird and awkward family dynamics, God proves himself to be trustworthy to us. Why? Because he did it before, and he'll do it again. He did it for Joshua, he did it for Paul, and he'll do it for you. You're not exempt. You're included. And what God is doing in this passage, he's commanding Paul, keep teaching. Don't stop. Continue to do what I've called you to do. Continue to build the church. Continue to serve in the kingdom. Continue to recruit citizens of the kingdom. Don't be silent. Look at me. Continue to do what God has called you to do when you're tempted to be fearful and anxious about the world that we live in. If God's called you to be here, be faithful here. If God's called you to serve here, be faithful to serve here. Don't worry about life's problems. That's what he tells them, don't worry. The second thing that we notice in this passage about God, I love it, it's that God is trustworthy because he is present and available to us. That, that's what he says, right? Like, that's what he says to Paul. He actually tells Paul. He makes a promise to Paul. He says, hey, listen, I am with you. I will be with you. In fact, I'm going to prove to you how I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to allow anyone to harm you. That, that's the promise for us, not that we wouldn't be harmed, because oftentimes, as Christians, when you think about the Christians all over the world who are being harmed, like, like you like, look at this passage, like, is that for them? No, no, no. What, what does that mean is that God is present in the discouragement and fear, God is present even in the persecution. God is available during hard times and difficult times. He's made that promise to him. He's made that promise to us. That's what he says, right? In the Great Commission, I will be with you always. God is trustworthy because he is present and available, especially when we face adversity. God's presence and availability is actually tangible. Like we look at this pastor and you're like, I'm, I'm waiting for a vision. No, you're not, because it ain't gonna happen. Like he ain't gonna show up, I'm sorry. I've tried, trust me. There have been times I'm like, you know, have you ever done that? Like, have you ever been so desperate? Like, have you ever felt so desperate? I've felt that before. You felt so desperate that you asked God to do the, the craziest thing that you, he can do, because he could do it, but like you ask him to do it because you're so desperate for him. Like, I've asked God, God, you need to show yourself because I am stressed. Like, it's often hard and difficult to trust in a God you cannot see. I'm, no one's doubting that's hard, right? But that's faith, right? We would, if we can see God physically, then we wouldn't need faith to trust in God spiritually, right? So, so we need faith. But oftentimes when I'm desperate, I'm like, God, show yourself. For real, let them see you. If they saw you, they would believe. God, if I saw you, I would believe, right? Right? Because doubt affects us too. 
But, but the truth is that God is there. The mere fact that you're able to communicate that is a proof that God is there. He's, he's present. He's available. He's not abandoned us. He hasn't abandoned Paul. In Paul's suffering, he has not been abandoned. In our suffering, God has not abandoned us. And when we think, when we think to ourselves that, that we feel isolated from God, when we feel that, that he has left us alone, be reminded of this passage. He has never left us alone. He knows we need him. So if he knows that we need him, that he's given himself through the power of his spirit to make himself available to us every time we need him. And that's the beauty of this passage. You know what also I, I love about this passage? That, that God appears to him in this vision is to encourage Paul to, to, to remain faithful is because it's the last part of verse 10. Look at it with me real quick. The last part of verse 10. He says, I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. When Paul was feeling isolated, alone, afraid, and discouraged about what was to come, the motivation that God gives Paul is to remind him that God is still in the business of redeeming what has been lost, right? Like, think about that. Like, God is still in the business of redoing everything that we've screwed up in our lives, particularly sin, right? So, so the motivation for Paul in this passage is don't give up preaching the gospel. Don't give up living out the gospel. Don't give up speaking the gospel because there are people who I have predestined before the foundation of the earth to be saved are going to be saved by your preaching, by your proclamation of the gospel, right? That's what he's saying. I have many in this city who are my people. God called them to preach the gospel. And that's the beauty, right, between the church and the mission, right? That, that God like, desires people to be saved. God calls people to be saved. God predestines people before the foundations of the earth to be saved. And yet the relationship is he does that through the hands and feet of the church to proclaim the gospel. That's, that's the beauty of it, right? That he uses us to do so. And, and the reminder this morning is not to give up. Right? Like when we're discouraged and fearful about the future of our own lives, right? I think, I, you know who I think about? I think of families who, who are struggling with kids who are not saved. I think of the moms and dads who are witnessing their children follow after their own, their own path, following after their own hearts, who have yet to come to Jesus and are still waiting for God to save them, and they're often discouraged because they do not see God moving. They're often discouraged and fearful of what the future might hold, and I think that's the principle of this passage. is true for us this morning that we are to continue to trust God to do what he said he would do, to do the work of salvation, to do the work of redemption, to do the work of spiritual transformation. So when we as a church collectively look at a world that's being destroyed by sin, we can have the confidence and from this passage to realize that God is still doing a work. And that work is not contingent on our own power, but on his power and his strength. And then therefore, we can say that God is trustworthy to accomplish his plan. It's his plan, not yours, not mine, his plan.
God is trustworthy. So what does Paul do? Look at verse 11, really quickly, and then I'm done. Verse 11, what does Paul do? He responds with obedience. When you are discouraged and fearful about life situations and problems in your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, your community, when you're tempted to feel discouraged and fearful, look at Paul's example. Continue in obedience to Jesus Christ and his word, and God will continue to be faithful. That's it. That's all we have to do. Let's pray. God, you are good, you are great, you are powerful. And we thank you this morning that you have given us your word to speak truth into our life, to speak truth into our hearts that are discouraged and fearful. God, I pray that anyone in this room who's afraid about their own circumstances or the problems that they face, God, would you give them peace that surpasses all understanding? Just as you visited Paul through a vision, God, would you visit us through your spirit by encouragement? God, help us to be the church that you want us to be, not for our sake, but for the sake of unbelievers, this world, and ultimately for the sake of your son Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.